0: On this day, back in 1991, way back in the early 90s, R.E.M. scored their first UK number one album with their seventh album, Out of Time, featuring this wonderful song here. R.E.M. were from Athens, Georgia, formed in 1980. They were students at the University of or- Georgia. One of the first alternative rock bands, R.E.M. was noted for their Arpegio, arpeggiated ringing guitar style, Stipe's distinctive vocal quality, obscure lyrics, melodic bass lines and tight drumming style. And guess what? It hit a chord. REM influenced the likes of Nirvana, Radiohead, Pearl Jam, Coldplay. They all drew inspiration from this band here. Great, great, great band, eh, David Slack?
1: Oh, you bet. Yep. I'm all with you on this. There's no dispute. Yep.
0: No, we agree. Actually, Nalini, maybe not I don't know. Nalini. Yes.
2: Yes. Earth Queen, Nalini. If I remember, oh, sorry. If I remember well, you're cutting out a bit, Wallace. I'm really sorry. Um, and if I remember well, in the video clip, he's dressed like an angel. Am I right?
0: I actually don't know, but I think it actually won on a major award. I'll go back and check that. Uh, our listeners will know. No, anyway, that is. Uh, this day, back in 1991, REM losing my religion. Isn't it wonderful? A lot of feedback coming through regarding timekeeping. Wallace, Sarah Frazel here. Kia ora, Sarah. I am a timekeeper. I hate lateness. I call them time stealers. People who cannot be on time must value their own instead of other people's. I'd rather be early, always. Uh, a, a response from the wonderful uh, uh, fellow panelist, Penny Ashton, who's going, <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me over here. Wallace, uh, frequently caught up early for the panel. Thank you very much. Also <laughs> very self-righteous. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Penny. Uh, someone says, I work fixing things electrical and no job time frame can ever be calculated correctly. The next customer, they'll have to wait. Rob says, uh, regarding the, um, the rules, COVID rules, we are in our late 60s and have been reasonably supportive of our local cafes, while knowing we aren't completely safe, we are happy to take a bit of a risk, but come for, 4 and knowing that anti-vaxxers who are proven to be more likely to spread COVID will be present here, we'll be keeping ourselves and our money at home, uh, says Rob. Thank you uh, for that. The panel... RNZ National. As the number of volunteers for the International Legion for the Defence of Ukraine rises to a reported 20,000 from over 50 countries, how does Aotearoa respond? If you felt compelled to join those that want to fight in Ukraine. A New Zealand army veteran is already in Ukraine helping train the civilian fighters with more planning to travel there. And it raises important questions about what is lawful and what the risks of such a- such actions might be, and can they complicate the situation on the ground? With us is Marnie Lloyd, a lecturer in law and associate director uh, for the New Zealand Centre for Public War- Law to heading a Waka Victoria University of Wellington, Dr. Lloyd Kiota.
3: Kiota ora, Wallace,
0: does New Zealand have any laws or regulations that prevents or dissuades? Our citizens from joining the war in Ukraine.
3: It's got it's got laws. Um, it's got laws that touch on that. But yeah, there's no specific law that would prohibit it.
0: So if I'm really passionate about the issue, uh, and I make contact with someone overseas, I can pack my bags and go and fight.
3: Well, it, it can seem like that. What New Zealand has is we've got laws that prohibit mercenary activities, and that's quite a specific thing. It's, it's said that um, it's quite unworkable, really. It's, it's a, a, a cumulative uh, definition, and, and so it's easy, or it's hard to fit into it and easy to fall out of it. Um, and then we've got anti-terrorism provisions. So that would prevent people... Um, going overseas to join a group that was involved in terrorist activity. But we don't have here in New Zealand a a kind of more general law that would prevent foreign fighting per se. And maybe something else that's just really important to to point out for the Mm. listeners is there's a difference between foreign enlistment. That's where someone wants to formally enlist in another country's military. So, for example, a New Zealander who wanted to formally enlist in a in the British Army or in the Ukrainian armed forces, for example, Um, normally that doesn't pose such a a problem. Um, But countries have been grappling a lot more with what to do about people wanting to do what's often called foreign fighting. And and by that I would mean people going and joining an armed group, for example, or an armed militia, or just going on their own accord and fighting and not being part of the state armed forces. Countries have
0: really grappled with that over history. Ah, okay. So there's a distinction, quite a distinction, between foreign enlistment and foreign uh, fighting. David Slack, your thoughts and comments on this?
1: Well, I'm intrigued to um, learn also that if that Russia has reportedly threatened to treat foreigners fighting in Ukraine as mercenaries and refuse them prisoner of war status, that's pretty alarming. Uh, Well, I mean, that is to say, it raises the stakes if you're considering it, doesn't it?
0: Marnie?
3: Yeah, I think that is one of the risks. I mean, apart from the obvious risks of going into a country that's suffering armed conflict and and all the risks that come with that. But, yeah, it's been reported that Russia has threatened to treat um, foreigners who are fighting, if it captures them, that it would consider them to be mercenaries and what that means within the law of the law of war uh, normally if you are indeed a mercenary you're not entitled to prisoner of war status and what that means is that you could potentially be prosecuted for your participation for having picked up arms. But As I said it's very difficult to fall into this definition of mercenary and so if somebody, even if they were a foreigner, and if they had enlisted in this um, international legion for the defence of Ukraine, so this foreign legion, um, because, at least my understanding, is that that foreign legion will be an official part of the Ukrainian armed forces, and that would mean that those people are not actually mercenaries. So it would be legally incorrect to to treat them in that way.
0: Hey, before we get to Nalini, uh, Marnie, what about security detail? What about working for security detail?
3: Yeah, so it's quite it's quite a common discussion whether people who um, people working in a private security company or what's called a P, for short a PMSC private military security company, whether they could meet the definition of mercenary because you know obviously then they they're, they're accepting money to go and do a job. Um, But they, so to to be a mercenary, you do actually have to participate directly in the fighting. So people doing security work, people working as medics, people doing training, um, if they're not directly participating in the hostilities, then they they remain a civilian. And and that means they remain protected. They're not allowed to be attacked or not allowed to be directly attacked. Um, and and they wouldn't they wouldn't fall into the definition of a mercenary.
0: Okay, Nalini, what are your questions around this?
2: Uh, there are two or three things. Hi, um, Marnie. Um, one of the things is that New Zealand has a do not travel uh, advisory against uh, in in place. So my interest there is if we have put that out and people are aware of it and people then choose to travel. Um, what exactly is their legal position as a traveller? Um, the second thing that I'm interested in is if if a person is there to train and comes back injured, what are ICC rules around that? Will, will mm. they be able to claim ACC for any rehabilitation? And and my third and, and really um, um, important concern also is that will we run the risk of having people coming back marginalised, and could we have issues here?
3: Yeah, thanks, Nalini. Um, yeah, so, I mean, me, when I explain that we don't, New Zealand doesn't have a specific law that would explicitly prohibit, it Doesn't there's no law that, that explicitly prohibits all kinds of foreign fighting, and certainly not foreign enlistment. But that's not at all to say that the government's been encouraging it. So, as you say, there's a you know a very clear travel advisory against going to Ukraine, and the government pointed out that um, consular assistance for Kiwis overseas in Ukraine might not be available. So, um, certainly, it's not it's not encouraged. You know, I think every time you see these um, like newspaper articles talking about someone from whichever country wanting to go and help in Ukraine and previously wanting to go and help uh, the Kurdish groups fighting against ISIS or wherever and fighters have gone to Myanmar, fighters have gone all over the place throughout history. But what you see if you see if you imagine like a Facebook post about somebody going to Ukraine, the, the diversity or rather, the spectrum of answers and people's comments. So you'll see people commenting saying, "Good on you, you're so brave. God bless you. You know, thank you for doing this." And and other people saying, "What on earth are you doing? Like, mm. how dare, in a way, how dare you decide for yourself to go and pick up arms? Leave it to the state armed forces. And right. you're not helping. You're just complicating." And so within the public, there's a big range of views, and I think we can we can feel that. That tension and and then governments, different countries have to grapple with that as well and and work out what laws they want to have around
0: it. Very good. Thank you for uh, explaining that for us, Marnie Kiora. That is uh, Dr. Mani Lloyd, lecturer in law and associate director uh, for the New Zealand Centre for Public Law, uh, asking uh, what if you were compelled to join those that want to fight in Ukraine? What sort of protections, legal and otherwise? uh do you have? Uh, thank you for being with us this afternoon. Um, and uh, quite a response actually regarding Rob uh, and his hesitancy of now going out. Now the mandates are dropped. So, so the vaccine passes rather are dropped. I agree with the last minister will not be spending my money anywhere that the unvaccinated may go until there is no more community spread as I'm trying to avoid everything COVID. I and my family and neighbours will support any local business that will require a vax pass. Hopefully they'll be still able to stipulate this. And regarding lateness, gosh, a big response. I was kept waiting quite often as a kid. And as an adult, I don't appreciate being made to wait, at least not more than a few minutes, less than five. And I work very hard to keep no one waiting. Often, I turn up a minute before an appointed meeting time. I'm very seldom later than the appointed time. Sometimes, I'm actually very early. Uh, Like David Slack, says Tim uh, in Dunedin. The panel, RNZ National, nice to have your company. Heavy rains that come in hard and fast depositing massive rainfall in the space of an hour. That's what we're seeing on the East Coast. And we saw it in Tamaki Makaurau a few days back. Auckland uh, recorded a month worth of rain in 10 hours. It's becoming more common, as we know. I'm just set to continue this way with climate change. So what do we need to know about insurance? Should your home be tragically flooded through? So we thought we'd get Wayne Tippett. He is the IAG Claims Executive General Manager. Wayne, kia ora. Nice to have you on. Kia ora.
4: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. M-
0: must may mention first, though, it, uh, it has not happened to me, and I'd love to hear listeners' experiences of themselves, but traumatic to have your significant flood damage right throughout your house.
4: Yeah, um, 100%, and it's happening again as we speak, isn't it? So our yeah. thoughts are certainly with um, our whānau in the Gisborne region this afternoon, especially those in Tolica Bay and Tokamaru, where we're under a state of emergency um, as we speak.
0: Flood flood claims in drenal. just want to know, are they on the rise?
4: 100% they are, and, and they are going to continue. I thought you might be interested in this comment um, from our climate scientists um, here at IAG, Increased bursts of tropical rainfall, especially in the northern half of the North Island, late March, onward through the rest of autumn and into winter. So what we're experiencing this week and what we have experienced in early February with ex-tropical cyclone dovey, for example, is likely to continue um, as we head into the into the cooler months.
0: OK, so a couple of hot tips. That's what I want from you. And here's when I... This, this really... Uh, uh, Actually, a really surprised me because I'd never thought of it before. Big tip, use a permanent ink pen to make a small mark on the wall at the maximum height of the water. That's an important th- key thing to do, is it?
4: I wouldn't say it's a key thing, but it's a good thing okay. to do so you can understand and we can understand where the water level actually reached in your
3: home. Oh. And
4: um, we certainly saw that in Westport in July last year where, some of the water ingress was halfway up the internal walls of some of those properties. So um, it's easy to forget how high it gets. So just put a little mark on the wall, right. and that's there for your future reference and for ours when we turn up to have a look at it for you. Other advice? Lots. Um, just don't put yourself at risk. Be aware of electrics. So obviously mm. if those get wet, um, turn them off. Have an electrician, um, have a look at that um, before you try to turn it on again. Clean up up as much as you can, but but recognise that that that's not easy and that there will be people that will be available to help you. Um, Just make note in particular of the things that you're disposing of, uh, e.g. soft furnishings, things like that. Also recognise that we can repair, clean and sanitise a number of things as well. So there's plenty of things that, that we can do, but a big one is don't put yourself Um, At risk.
0: Yeah, the key
4: Um,
0: one, eh? Yeah. No, no, no. The electrics, of course. David Slack.
4: I
1: had that has happened to us. It happened in the old house, which had three levels to it, and the basement got flooded. And I was flying out the next morning to do a workshop in. Connecticut, and I had printed out vast amounts of uh, material to give to the people who were taking part of that, and that was all on the floor, and the water stopped just short of it. So I was feeling pretty fortunate about that. But the two things I want to say, one is the insurance company then uh, was Tower, and we've been with them forever, and they were magnificent in how they organised the right people to come in, assess it, decide what to do, get the uh, repairs going. And the second thing was this week we got a text message from Tower because we're in Auckland and Auckland got thrashed. Saying if you have any trouble, let us know. And Gosh. I think that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, recent lower heart says we got flooded in two thousand and four. The insurance company state treated us like royal guests. Uh, your company isn't mentioned yet, uh, Wayne. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but
4: it is. Actually, um, IAG is um, inclusive of the of the state business um, AMI, um, many of our banks here in New Zealand, as well as NZI.
0: Apologies, very good. No, Nalini. Right. It's all good.
2: Nilini, I Wayne, my choice of insurance insurers. Um, a couple of things. One is has the um, whole insurance um, market shifted to recognise climate change and are there provisions for those now in policies? And secondly, are you finding that people are suddenly discovering that there may not be clauses in the policies that that they might have wanted or that they're unfamiliar with the policies because they haven't actually read them and what and what things they can claim for?
4: Yeah, second one, second one first. I think it, these um, events remind us that this is the time to go and have a look. You don't want to be disappointed after an event or claims time to work out that a I didn't have a policy or I didn't um, choose the right amount um, to be covered for. So now's the time, and um, I think as Kiwis in general we can be a little bit ambivalent and just assume that the policy that I've taken out will cover everything. Well, it's not a it's not a blank check. It it is you know quite clear what it will cover and what it won't cover, and certainly encourage people to. Um, take a read as you get your renewals or as you're reflecting on the events that we're you know, seeing uh, this week that now's the time to go and, and take a look. And as I mentioned before, going back to your first point, um, we see the impacts of um, climate change. I absolutely see it uh, leading the claims business here at IAG.
0: You're at the front end of
4: it. Yeah, yeah. it's like you know, when it happens, because it is going to happen, it's how do we uh, make sure that um, community resilience uh, exists? Because on a on an individual basis, it's one family. But when you roll this up, this is a community that we're talking about. And so we need to be um, mindful that we're here to not only support individual families, but also the community that's impacted.
0: All right, Uh kia ora, Wayne, thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to tip Tippett, the IAG Claims Executive General Manager, there. A few uh, tips there. Sorry, David, keep going.
1: I was going to say the absolute bedrock argument I always use when i 'm dealing with climate deniers is follow the insurance actuaries, look at what they're doing. they know the, the future they know how to predict it better than anybody, and they have been building it in for a long time
0: now. that's right. I read, oh gosh, this is in the maybe in the late late90s that uh, the insurance industry you you can 't you can't fudge on climate change because they needed to know to uh, future-proof their business that they needed to know the fa- <laughs> the facts on the ground uh, of what was actually happening. So they took it very seriously quite early on. Uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National, David Slack, and Nalini Baruch with me this afternoon. And it's just, as always, really wonderful to have your company. And thank you very much for uh, all your thoughts, your comments coming through. You can uh, text me anytime, 2101. You can email us here, the panel at rnz.co.nz. And we are on Twitter as well, at RNZ The Panel. Keep your ears open, Otatahi. Music is soaring from the Yavon Riverbanks once again. The Edmonds Band Rotunda is an icon in Christchurch. Built in 1929, it was sadly demolished in 2012 after it was damaged in the earthquakes. Now, a $1.5 million restoration project has given the Rotunda a second chance at life. Todd Turner is Principal Percussionist of the Wollstone Brass, who became the first, I understand, group to deliver a concert from this restored rotunda over the weekend. Todd, great to have you on the panel.
5: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: I love this story because I've I, never lived in Christchurch, very familiar, very familiar with the city, and my heart broke. When I first laid eyes on the broken rotunda, you know, wire netting around it, it was a place of joy of mirth. It was a restaurant once, and to see it broken there for all those years, it was, it was a symbol of Christchurch, wasn't it?
5: Well, it is. It, it, it's one of those things that probably, when you know, we live here, and I've been doing a little bit of research today just around, um, you know, when it became a restaurant, and it, and it was put down to. So I guess not being over utilized by um, bands or brass bands to um, come and do concerts in the in the rotunda so um, and it, it's one of those things that you don't you don't make the most of some things in your own city until
0: mm.
5: until you can't use them anymore so and it was such a I, I guess an iconic part of actually traveling down the, the sort of the Avon River is, is seeing the band rotunda there so um, yeah certainly for us it's um, you know it's a pretty awesome thing to actually have. Um, rebuilt i mean we've got a very new looking city now um and there's a few icons left and and this is probably one of them which i think uh, stands out as a as a bit of a symbol um certainly of music and and arts and the in the garden city
0: the rotundas back and who doesn't love a rotunda I love rotundas nalini hi Todd um hello i, I had
2: a I had a close look at that rotunda and the renovation that's been done in um I was just curious. There are beautiful wooden ceilings in there, and I'm wondering, is that does that help with the acoustics, especially with the um, with the horns?
5: Absolutely, yes. Um, with, with a traditional brass band, we've obviously got um, cornets, cornets, flugel horns, trombones that all face forward. Um, percussionists oh. um, they can make plenty of noise to balance up to everything else. But but we do have a lot of upright instruments, uh, the tubas, baritones. UFOs and tenor horns, mm. so yeah uh, we got a really, it was really interesting um, to play in there, we got a really good balanced sound coming out, which was um, which is nice to nice to have and, and timber, even though sometimes mm. people think timber is a bit of a, a reflector, um, it is actually a, a quite a nice acoustic, has really good, good properties to it
0: David Slack, you're a man?
1: Oh yes, we've got one here in the Seaside Village, it, it even has notes on the side of it that uh, oh. um, make uh, Make the music for God, God Save the Queen. Truly, was it was a, it was a oh, war commemoration? But I, 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 don't, I don't, I suspect it's not as large as as this one. What's the capacity, Todd? How many people could you get? Has anybody tried a record? A, a good point, actually. When <laughs> we um,
5: when we set up on uh, Sunday, um, you know, brass bands have actually got bigger because there's a lot more percussion requirement. Um, so, we were kind of looking at it starting to run out of room. Um, and our junior band, even though we've got um, little people in the junior band, we still probably have um, over 40 of those. So, we had a, a full complement of percussion plus probably 40 in there at a time. And there was still room to dance around and breathe if you, if you felt the urge.
0: Good on you, Todd. Love it. Uh, that's uh, Todd, principal percussion of the Wolfson Brass. Uh, send us a picture of your local Rotunda the panel at rnz.co.nz we'll come back to that meanwhile David Slack, Nalini Barik both been fabulous this afternoon thank you for being with me today I'm Wallace Chapman back tomorrow Thursday 3.45 Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next stay with us